Thundergrunt Podcast Network. One of my favorite memories growing up was going to the Fireman's Carnival in Rivera Beach, which was probably a mile from my house. One time, my cousin and I had saved up just enough money for us both to get wristbands to ride as many rides as we wanted. Now, my parents had taken me there, and they left early because, like I said, we were only a mile away, and they said we could walk home. When it got to about time for the carnival to close, we just decided to ride the Gravitron over and over and over. We were pressed up against the wall. We were flipping upside down. We were pushing our heads forward, and it just makes your eyes want to bulge out. The guy that was running it was just letting us ride over and over and do all kinds of stuff. After about the 11th, 12th, 15th time, I'm not even sure, we got off the Gravitron, and we both were so nauseous, we were about to throw up right there. So we decided to go over and get a snowball to settle our stomachs for the walk home. My cousin Mike decided to get a grape snowball, and me, being the cherry fanatic that I am, decided to get cherry. He told me, Chris, don't get cherry. I was like, what are you talking about? It's my favorite flavor. And he said, grape is soothing. <laughs> I was like, Mike, <laughs> forget it, man. I'm getting cherry. So we walked home with those snowballs in the heat. And when we got to the front of my, my yard, like right there before the door, I just hurled. Wah! Right there, right there on the front lawn. And Mike turned to me and said, I told you grape was soothing. Curioso. A curioso is someone who inquires in esoteric matters. A collector of knowledge. Curioso Podcast. Is that our carnival song? No, no, no. no. What would your What would your uh, carnival song be? Oh, what is the one? What is the? How does the carnival song go? Yeah, the something march. I can't remember what it is. Yeah, it's like you know, and it's got to be done by like tooting. It's it's got to be done like by a by like a tooting steam powered. Yeah, like a train or or like a a frog or something. You know what I mean? A tooting steam powered frog. What do you mean frog? I don't know. It just seems like something they would. Oh, do. like like at a at like an amusement park. Yeah, whatever? and they would just turn around and go. <laughs> Joe, I've called you here today <laughs> to speak about carnivals, carnivals, and specifically the food that is at carnivals. Okay, so uh, when you mentioned this episode to me, right? Uh, I don't. Like carnivals, the history of carnivals themselves, yeah, very interesting. Mm-hmm. The history of carnival food, ma? It's not okay. Every food, I mean, just like how you have, uh, you know, food around the world. We've done several foods, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, uh, and we have a few other ones coming up this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, foods, drinks, stuff like that. Yeah, carnival food is a very specific type of food. 
And it's first off, it's usually not very good for you. It's usually fried or covered in butter or, right. you, you know what I mean? On or, a stick. Or on a stick or completely <laughs> made out of sugar or whatever. Yeah. But, and it's all, but the point is, is that it's not very good for you, but it tastes delicious. And right. it's supposed to be like a treat. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's all like, it's all just like desserts or it's on a stick or, or mm-hmm. whatever. You know what I mean? It's all meant to be. You know, you eat it as you're walking around, as your kids are getting on rides. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's it's meant to be smeared all over your face. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like, well, like you said, uh, it, it's a treat, right? And the history of carnivals it dates back to about the 1400s mm-hmm. when the word carnival became synonymous with uh, fairs and festivals. Right now, they're very, very similar today, e- even still. Mm-hmm. I even think that it might have a lot to do with when we talked about sideshows. Yeah. Sideshows, circus, carnivals. Uh, a lot of the time they were the the same thing. Right. You know well, what I mean? It stems from a pre-Lent festival uh, or a Shrovetide festival. Mm-hmm. Lent between February and early March. So it right. starts typically in the old, old world. It would start before Lent started. And it was a celebration before you had to do all the fasting and the not allowed to eat this kind of food or that kind of food. So it was a festival to celebrate Lent and typically springtime and stuff like that. But you did it before you had to do the arduous thing of fasting and staying away from stuff. Right. So we're talking about uh, the same kind of thing that Mardi Gras is made out of, right? Mm-hmm. I mean the same – Similar, it's, yes. It's in the same vein as yes. that. Yeah, Mardi Gras actually means Fat Tuesday in French. That's the last day of feasting and celebrating before the Christian period of Lent begins. Carnival, the word, stems from the Italian word carni veil, means farewell to meat or goodbye to meat. Okay. So carne, meat, veil, away. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Meet away. <laughs> right. So, like I said, it started in about the 1400s. And it also kind of folded in a lot of pagan rituals like fertility and season change. Uh, and they were adapted to more of the prominent Catholic traditions. Now, that's one of the reasons why I decided to have this episode in springtime. Mm-hmm. Because carnivals are typically started in the spring. Right. You can uh, be outside for long periods of the day. Right, exactly. You're starting to get longer and longer days, and they they travel around, and they're in a specific area for a week. You know, they set up or or for the weekend, and you can go and enjoy it. And then they move somewhere else. Now, now, uh, you know, here in you know in Maryland and, and specifically Baltimore, a lot of the time we go down to you know say Ocean City for the weekend or something like that, where they have rides and games on the boardwalk. Right. You know, in New York, of course, they have Coney Island, and mm-hmm. there's a few other places where they have you know in New Jersey, you know, places like that where they have like typically on the coast a stationary carnival where right. you can you know have that for the entire summer right. until you know typically until uh, Memorial Day. Yeah, season end for but, for summertime. Exactly, yeah. but for you know a lot of people they don't have the money. To go to, you know, Ocean City or, you know, to to Coney Island. I mean, Coney Island, you can usually do that in a day if you live in New York. Yeah, of course. You know, but, yeah. uh, 
you know, but you know, a lot of people that live in the inner city, mm-hmm. you know, uh, even people that live in the suburbs, they don't necessarily have the money to go and spend a week or yeah. a weekend. So the carnival travels around, comes to them, mm-hmm. you know, and you can have that weekend or just that night, right? Uh, to to throw ping pong balls into you know fish bowls <laughs> to get a free fish, right? Maybe, you yeah. Know, may, well, there's you know a sucker I mean. born every minute. <laughs> So after the 1400s, the tradition of carnivals being tied in with the Catholic tradition and the spread of Catholicism, it spread pretty quickly through most of Europe, uh, France, Spain, which all adopted sort of the, the Catholic Christian beliefs. There are a lot of African influences with the word carnival. Really? Yeah. Through the history of the slave trades from the Caribbean and Africa, Costumes, street foods, dancing, music. They had a a lot of just native festivals for their towns. Mm -hmm. And they brought those beliefs and history with them even through the horrible times of of going through the slave trades. So when they settled in places like Brazil and the Americas and parts of Spain and England, like you had that bit of culture – sort of seep into this already, you know, not standardized festival, but pretty prominent thing that would happen once or twice a year where people would have carnivals. Right. So you bring that aspect of another culture in and it becomes more uh, more well-rounded, even though people didn't really see it as such back then. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you, you see it in, if you go to Brazil... Uh, you know, Rio de Janeiro, it is like the biggest carnival ever, every year. Right. And that's the one where, uh, like, there are women that go down the street, uh, like, in those bird costumes with thongs on, right? Giant. The car- carnival, right? Yeah. Isn't that what that yeah. is? Giant, giant carnival. Yeah. But, but it, I mean, it, it's like, I mean, it's a huge parade down the middle it, of the street. But yeah, but it, it is, I think it spans like four or five days. Yeah. You know, so you're talking all of the, the sort of tribal beliefs and stuff that were brought over from the Caribbean and, you know, Spain and England and stuff like that through the trade routes and the slave routes and everything uh, that have, were sort of like adopted and and sort of very pervasive throughout the years uh, as the population grew. So now we have – you go to, you know, the, the carnival nowadays in Rio de Janeiro and there are – it's everything. There are giant, ridiculous floats, costumes, crazy music, and a plethora of carnival foods. And and it's really – it seems like it's kind of like a mobile uh, spring celebration. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's what – like the carnival comes to your town. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time it seems as though they are – Coming to, you know, firemen lots, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like the parking lot of, you know, fire. I mean, you know, a VFW or yeah, a fire VFWs, hall or something. fire yeah. halls, you know what I mean? Because they have very large lots that are centralized to, you know, the populace in that specific area. Yeah, yeah. So that's where they, t- you know, ha- typically have them a lot it, of the time. Especially here in America. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're, they're sort of, uh, you know, a pseudo community center. Right. You know, and they will play host to small traveling carnivals or festivals. Right. And, you know, one of my favorite things is our local Fireman's Carnival. Uh, they also have, like, a pit beef stand that they mm-hmm. have there year-round. Like, they'll do it, like, on nice days over yeah. the weekends and stuff. Yeah. 
well, they'll just, you know, cook pit beef, but they're also, so when the carnival comes there, you know, they have pit beef and crab cakes and everything right, else right. along Firemen, with the, you know, along with the, the food that comes in the stands and everything. Yeah. Firemen eat very well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, I've worked for a couple of companies that have worked on fire stations. Yeah. I've known a few firemen in my life and they can all cook. They all cook. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> how do you guys do this? But, you know, they, they're cooking for, an, you know, a house full of people. Right. You yeah. know, who need the calories to eat. So they learn to cook fast, a lot, and very, very well. Yeah. So using that to sort of like entice people to come and probably donate to the fire station, yeah, it makes sense. Absolutely. All right, Joe. So where do we want to start? Salty? Sweet? Oh, geez. You know, savory? Uh, I, you want to go hot? Cold? <laughs> we can go in any <laughs> Left, direction, right, man. right, up, down, B-A, B-A, select, start. Well, I tell you what. Let's, let's start with... Probably one of my absolute favorites. All right. I'm going to say every one of these are my favorites. Every, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. You are a, a very... I love I love carnival fit. food. I love all this stuff. <laughs> you are a very fit man, and you keep track of your waist with all this carnival <laughs> I'm, I'm, intake. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm so svelte, Joe. I'm but so you, svelte. You own machines to necessitate your carnival lust <laughs> throughout <laughs> the year. So let me... Okay. So we're going to start off with... Probably one of my absolute favorites, uh, which is also a staple at the movie theater. Let's talk popcorn. Okay. Yeah. So popcorn. Uh, I, I at home have three separate, <laughs> three separate machines for cooking popcorn. Like they only cook popcorn. That seems a bit ridiculous. Well, I have, I have, uh, I have one that I received that cooks popcorn. You know, normally it's just like a like a popcorn plate. It heats it up, pops it all, mm, like a then, jiffy pop. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Then I also have a, I have one that's manual that you have to crank, and that one's for campfires. Oh yeah, I remember using that. Right. In the tent. Yeah. Yeah. So I have one of those for campfires, and then I also have one that my wife gave me that I haven't even opened yet. That is basically it looks like one of those old red popcorn stands, hmm. but it's. You know, a miniature one oh, of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have one of those, and uh, I'm just waiting till I buy a house to find a spot for it, so I can, I can, <laughs> you know, I'll throw the other one away. Right. Sure. Not you to will. mention the fact that also popcorn is extremely microwavable. Oh and, yeah. You know, so yeah. really, I have four machines for cooking popcorn. Mm-hmm. So uh, now, sometimes it was said that popcorn was actually eaten at the first, uh, you know. Thanksgiving feast in in the Plymouth Colony in 1621, but we probably think that that's not actually true, uh, because apparently the type of corn that you need for that wasn't in that area. But it is, you know, it, it is fairly normal for most people, or you know, the the Iroquois. Uh, they spread throughout the Great Lakes region, uh, upstate New York, Vermont, Quebec. And they were probably the first people to have the actual popping popcorn. Okay. Poppable kernels. Poppable kernels. Okay. Uh, now, what they would typically do is they actually had these clay bowls, mm-hmm. and they would take heated sand, put it inside, put the popcorn on top, mix it in, and it would pop up. Hmm. And that's and how they would eat it. Pull the, the kernel out and kind of like shake it off? I, I You know, that's what I would assume. I unless they would, you know, just figured that was the seasoning. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, no, it's not Mrs. Dash. 
But I mean, you know, it, it became just like a staple of, you know, snacky food. You yeah. know what I mean? To, yeah. to pop popcorn and eat it. Uh, now, by the mid-1800s, popcorn was beloved by families as a late-night snack in front of the fire, uh, at picnics, uh, just in sociable settings. Mm-hmm. But mass consumption didn't take off until the 1890s because a Chicago entrepreneur named Charles Creters he built the first popcorn popping machine. Ooh. Now, at the time, it was not an automatic machine where you could plug it in. You know, you would actually have to turn a crank and everything else. Um, Creators, he had a candy. He was a candy store owner, and uh, he purchased a commercially uh, commercially made peanut roaster. So he could offer fresh roasted peanuts at his candy shop, but he didn't really like the quality of it. He started tinkering with the machine, and then he got the idea of putting popcorn in it. Hmm. He started designing newer machines that were actually powered by steam for nut roasting and popcorn popping, uh, and the steam ensured that all the kernels would be heated evenly. Okay. So they would all pop at the same time. Right. Uh, so you wouldn't have that thing just like when you have microwave popcorn, you have like a handful <laughs> of kernels right. at the bottom of the bag breaking your teeth on them. Burnt and, right. yeah, and gross. Yeah. So... Um, you know, so he would have the maximum number of pop kernels. Uh-huh. It also uh, enabled the user to pop the corn directly in the desired seasoning. Oh. So you could put the butter or you could throw Old Bay, which is mm-hmm. one of my favorite things. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, by 1900, Creators introduced the horse-drawn popcorn wagon. And uh, What? Yeah. So it was a gigantic wagon, very much like I... Like my old, miniature thing. Yeah, yeah, like the old uh, the old steam cars. You do the right. old tank of steam. Yeah. But instead of, well, it's like it's probably a tank of steam and then like a little valve in the back where you poured kernels or mm-hmm. something and just would like, you know, Willy Wonka the popcorn out of the back it while he was just, driving. It wouldn't, like kids <laughs> wouldn't be running behind it with their mouths open. No, I mean, it had like awesome. a, a contained glass case for, you know, the popcorn oh. to fall into. And then he could pop it into bags and sell it. Right. Of course, you know, now most Americans, we get our popcorn from microwaves. In fact, mm-hmm. I, oh man, you know, I know I have, I could probably just bing this, you know, like look it up. Uh, I should have just said Google it. I was trying to make a joke about binging because nobody bings. But um, I don't even know what you're talking about. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I could probably just Google it. But uh, I, I think it's something like 90% of all usage of microwaves is to pop popcorn. Seriously, it's, it's something. It's so high. It's like eighty-five or ninety percent. Wow, like I think I the, could, it, it's ridiculously high. The last time I made popcorn, I think I had that moment of pulling the little wallet satchel of popcorn out of the bag or right. the box, and I'm like, "How do I?" I'm staring at the microwave. I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's how you do that." <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> "Stove, oven, microwave. That's microwave. That's, that's how it works." <laughs> Took me a minute. Like my brain wouldn't register because I never use it. So the the first patent from a microwave popcorn bag was actually uh, issued to General Mills in 1981. So microwavable popcorn has only been around since 1981. Hmm. Now, did that uh, does that coincide with popcorn lung? <sighs> now that's a huge, you know, weird thing because uh, what gives you that buttery flavor? That mm. fake. Butter flavor, butter flavor yeah. is made by diacetyl. Right. 
which is naturally occurring in, in lots of things, especially like wine and stuff right. like that. Uh, and you're, most of the time, you're trying to keep that out of your beer. Right. Because, especially in lagers, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't properly brew it, you can have that diacetyl flavor. It's that buttery flavor. Right. Well, when you want to make that buttery flavor, you make sure that, you know, the yeast is producing that. Mm-hmm. So it's a yeast byproduct. And then right. you take it uh, and you, you know, however however it's made you you take it from the yeast and then of course they they have to do probably some kind of chemical process to clean it and get right, all the other right. stuff away Scrub all that out. yeah and then make like the buttery popcorn flavor that you can buy at you know any supermarket that's mm-hmm. butter flavoring right and that's what it is it's diacetyl right now it's not good to be inhaled obviously right. that's the thing is like uh popcorn lung was first found out because people who were producing the bags of unpopped popcorn for production for sale Mm -hmm. a lot of the workers were coming up with popcorn lung right it's called bronchiolitis obliteration which just sounds horrible basically it puts tiny holes yeah in your lungs that are almost irreversible and it causes a lot of you know respiratory problems i mean so does like you know black lung from being a you know a minor you know i mean it's the same sort of thing right but to find out that people making popcorn could get irreversible damage lung problems. their lungs, yeah, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I, I, I'm sure that there are probably steps that you could take. Yeah, you know what I mean, get, as a worker. But get, you know, um, at the time, they probably just didn't know. Right, right. I mean, and by now, the way, thanks for bringing it down low, Joe. I'm just. Well, this was to... a nice, fun episode about Carnival Eats. Yeah, and you just got to bring it down. Well, you you were talking about the beginning of the the production of it, and yeah, I, I just wanted to right. know the correlation of, of the. That's where it comes from. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, it's. I mean, it it does. I've heard. You know, I, I heard there was some kind of class action lawsuit yeah. or something like yeah. that. So I haven't followed it too closely. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, you know, uh, it was a big concern with people who uh, vape. Because yeah. vaping, there is some diacetyl that can be in some of the flavors. So the right. people were concerned about that. And uh, most people who create vape juice now do not put any diacetyl in it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's – hopefully that's not a concern anymore. Right. Now, as for the, the you know, pop, just normal popcorn, uh, it's beloved by many, you know, having the butter on it, the butter mm-hmm. flavoring, uh, putting some salt on it. I personally like it with uh, some Old Bay. Mm-hmm. Is one of my favorite things. Cheesy popcorn, you know, just like you said, white you can, cheddar. White cheddar. You could cook cook it with whatever seasoning right in the you know right in the bin, and that's mm-hmm. what they do with you know microwave popcorn. Uh, but one of the traditional ways to eat it was, of course, the kettle corn and cooking yeah. it in a giant kettle. You have to put some sugar in there. You put some salt in there, and you have to keep on stirring it. Mm-hmm. You know, with your with your paddle mm-hmm. in the kettle, and it's typically done in copper kettles. Yep, continually kettles. stir it so that the the sugar doesn't you know caramelizes a little bit. Right, but you don't want it to burn. Right. Well, and that's so. traditionally how you would make a you know old old school caramels. You use these big old giant copper kettles. Right now, now here's the thing. There is a, of course a difference between kettle corn. And caramel corn. Yeah, of course. Right. Well, I'm, I'm just pointing it out for the listener, okay. Joe, because some people <laughs> might not realize the difference. Okay. Your, 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 
you know, your kettle corn is mm-hmm. just has a light coating of sugar on top of it. Right. As opposed to your caramel corn, which you're really cooking the caramel first. Uh-huh. And you're getting it like nice and buttery and, you know, uh, caramelly and caramelly and delicious. And that, like, yeah. Nice brown, yeah. you know, flavor to it. Yeah, your ratio you know, to mix pop- it in. Yeah, but your ratio f- with caramel corn is, you know, 50 50. Right. You know? Yeah, with caramel. Now, of course, the first people to create caramel corn came out of uh, Chicago as well uh, with people experimenting with different flavorings. And uh, they came up with the the mix, the concoction of popcorn, peanuts, and molasses. And that was where the first caramel corn uh, came about. Hmm. And that, of course, is Cracker Jack. Oh. Right. And which at the time meant a term of great, 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 great quality. (laughs) With great, great quality. Comes great responsibility? No? That's a Cracker Jack. Cracker Jack meant a oh, term yes. of great quality. Yeah. So I apologize. I'm a little bit stuffed up. I think it's the I think it's all the pollen. The pollen. Yeah, yeah. my nose is a little bit stuffy. So I'll try to uh I'll try to not mess up my my speech much more. But of course, uh caramel corn is traditionally made by mixing a sugar solution, sometimes molasses, and heating up the sugar till it caramelizes and turns a nice golden brown, and then drizzling that over the over the popcorn and mixing it all together. Right. Uh, you know, one of our one of I guess me growing up, you know, going down Ocean City, right. one of my favorite places was always Fisher's popcorn. Yeah, it's a local the local, local place, joint. it's yeah. right down in, in Ocean City, mm-hmm. you know, our our spot for going down to the down the ocean. <laughs> I can never I can never I'm going down the ocean, huh? Going Robert down the ocean. <laughs> and that's yeah, that's Fisher's and they have all different kinds of popcorn. They have, you yeah. know, your your old bay popcorn, your you know what I mean? Your standard, your everything. Cheddar, but your ca- the caramel corn is just absolutely the best. You yeah, know what I mean? Stuff. You know what my favorite thing is? Hmm. Actually, you let it sit in the container for two or three weeks. Ew. And the, no, no, no. I know you're Ew. saying that, but I, I prefer for the caramel to get a little bit stale, and it becomes chewier. No. I know. I, it's like aging a fine wine. No. Though. You let it age for about two weeks in the in the bucket, no, just, and it actually gets better. You're just molding a decent popcorn. <laughs> that's I, I know. It's my that's uh, my favorite. All right. I like it like that. And of course, we can't no not you know just happen to mention that it, they're always in these like. Commemorative tins. Well, they're in plastic (laughs) tubs, but you can get like the commemorative tins and stuff like that. You know what I mean? But carnival food. And let me also mention too, like since we're starting out with popcorn, popcorn is fairly cheap to make. Yeah. Well, and it's everywhere. I mean, and we're going to touch on probably a handful of these other carnival foods with corn involved. Right. But my point is, is that all of the the ingredients Mm -hmm. for pretty much all of these treats yeah are cheap oh yeah they're inexpensive yeah and, and the reason for that premium so you can charge a premium <laughs> right. because you only come around once a year right so you you know if your ingredients are at, you know cost as little as possible <laughs> you can get as much profit as possible right as quickly as you can that's the carny way <laughs> that is the carny way and but you know but it's also the fact that you're you know during the winter right you're not doing anything you know what I mean? You're only working for the spring and the summertime. Right. And the right. winter, you don't do anything. So you need to have that extra, A little you know, cabin fever, you yeah. know, yeah. To, you know, to, to winterize. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, another corn carnival thing 
in the Iowa State Fair in their carnival, they sell something called corn in a cup. Corn in a cup. Corn in a cup. <laughs> just how it not sounds. Not corn in a copia. No, not a corn, corn in a copia. So it's basically uh, a shaved corn on the cob. So they take the corn on the cob, right, stand okay. up, cut the cor- kernels off, and then serve it to you in a cup. But that's what, what makes that? <laughs> I don't know. But they, they serve it with uh, mayonnaise. Ew. What? Chorizo. Oh, okay. And cheese on top with a lemon wedge. And Why with a lemon wedge? I, hold on. And something what the fair calls magic dust. <laughs> okay, that just sounds like uh, angel probably, dust. No, if it's called magic dust, that's I've heard uh, like Creole seasoning. Yeah, some some kind you of like seafood l- sort of local seasoning. Seasoning, yeah, right. Like I've heard magic dust. That's usually like a seafood type of seasoning. Yeah, or whatever. Something. Or meat tenderizer. Yeah, something sort of flavor. Cheap and you know, ambiguous. lots of salt in it. <laughs> right, <laughs> MSG. Yeah. Right. But yeah, it's weird, you know. It's like a, a bowl of like corn with things that should not go well together. <laughs> no, I don't think that that weird. would. All right, Joe. Well, since we're sticking with the theme of corn to start off with, is that too corny of us? <sighs> probably. I ear you, buddy. I ear you. Yeah, probably. But you know what, Joe? I have a dog in this fight. Well, let's talk about it. A corn dog. Of course, now, I don't think we've ever actually discussed where hot dogs come from, but we're just going to skip right on over that. You know what I mean? They have a long and sordid history. (laughs) Snout to tail. That's all I got to (laughs) say. You know what I mean? Especially, like, why they're they're called hot dogs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They were, you know, red hots. Whatever you want to call them. They they are a type of sausage. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's you know it. what I mean. They're, they're a cousin of the sausage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so we'll kind of skip over that. We'll just gloss over it. Mm-hmm. We'll just gloss it over. It's a meat a, wiener with a coat of of corny goodness. Sure. So, uh, <laughs> but somebody figured out if you took a hot dog and you dipped it in cornmeal, right? Very much like how you make cornbread. Yeah, you know, or hush puppies, or hush puppies, yeah, hoe cakes or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So if you dip it in that, you know, that cornbread batter, mm. and then you deep fry it, it just tastes awesome. It does, and yeah, and that way you don't need a bun, right? Because That's true. it's bun, you know, it's almost like a, you know, some people call it a pig in a blanket. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, a pocket food or hand food. You know, it's right. portable. You know. Perfect for something like a fair or a festival or a carnival. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, a, a lot of people say when they first came out, they actually weren't served with the traditional on a stick. Oh, really? Right? They were just, you know, deep fried and then given out, you mm-hmm. know, in like little napkins. Wax paper or yeah, napkin exactly. or something. Probably newspaper. Oh, I always yeah. think of like yeah. people just wrapping stuff up in newspaper. Yeah, back dead time. fish. Corn dog. Yeah, whatever yeah. it happens to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? A pistol. Wrap the Christmas goose up in some old <laughs> That's what you, you know, used in, for. in the in the old to- ye old times. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And take it home. So but um uh they were actually introduced to the fair in nineteen thirty eight, although some people say it was nineteen forty two. But, you know, let's give it a four year span. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Maybe they tried some other kind of batter first. Probably. You know what I mean? It was probably a so, bit of experimentation. The first drive in to serve the corn dog was in 1946 in Springfield, Missouri. But the the uh, first time they were ever served was at the Texas State Fairgrounds. 
uh, was in 1938 or 1942 or somewhere in between the two. Wow. So uh, the New York Times remarked that they were corn dog stands at the city's beaches by 1947. And, of course, you could get a corn dog on the Coney Island boardwalk mm-hmm. uh, shortly after that. Wouldn't it be the Corny Island? Whoa. Oh. <laughs> Now, of course, uh, corn dogs are really the only wieners that are thrust onto a stick. Uh, Not the only wieners, just. <laughs> and uh, of course, they have to have some kind of cornmeal, uh, deep fried in a tubular form. Uh, and because they're deep fried, they're not too great for the uh, most of you circulatory system. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Well, here's the thing: frying is not terrible. Yeah, it is. It depends on. The the quality of the oil, the temperature that you fry, and how long it's in there for. So the, the more oil that is absorbed by whatever you're frying, the more oil you're putting into your body. You know, if you do something like a tempura, where mm-hmm. it's very light. It's a light, light batter. Yeah, and a light fry. Yeah, it's relatively okay. It's it's not great, but it's a hell of a lot better than sticking in a, in a fryer for eight to 10 to 12, however long people throw things in fryers for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like fried lard or something like that. Like <laughs> We're going to get to that. Just <laughs> sh- zip it. Okay. We're getting to that later. So I also want to mention that when they were first brought out to the uh, the Texas State Fairgrounds, mm-hmm. they were called Pronto Pups. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So That's uh, very Texas. The hot dog on a stick. Nice. Um, we're going to get to the Texas State Fairgrounds a little bit later on. Oh, but, they but are ridiculous. Typically, the Texas State Fairgrounds are the culinary pinnacle yeah. of carnival food. Oh, yeah. That, that is where, like, like starting with the corn dog, mm-hmm. that is where most of, like, your... Epicurean carnival yeah. flavors come from. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. even know. I, and I think a lot it has a lot to do with, like, the fact that Texas is so large. But yeah. it also... Uh, you have the mixture of of cultures there. Oh yes. Uh, you know you have your your you know South American culture mm-hmm. coming up. You know what I mean. Your Native Tex-mas. American, your Texan, right? Your, your what do you call those? Uh, the Yankees and everything else in between. Right. Texas is kind of uh, I don't want to say pinnacle, but it's it, for the longest time it was a, it was a hub. Mm-hmm. You know, Houston is what the fourth largest city now. Right. Yeah. Uh, Last year, they put out something where they had, uh, I believe, 50 brand new carnival foods they were unveiling to the world. Yeah. You know, yeah. slight, they're, they're, not brand new, but like, here's a thing you've seen before, but they're slightly different they're like and the, more ridiculous. They're like the French cuisine <laughs> of the carnival world. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know? And if you're uh, eating the corn dogs in at the Texas State Fairground, you could probably get some deep fried beer while you're there. Because that's a thing they do there as well. That is a thing that they do there. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you, you want to get into some of the Texas stuff too? I, I've got. I've got some. So they they actually take what what is it? They take beer, mm-hmm. freeze it into ice cubes, right? Right, and then just batter it and then deep fry it. Very much like uh, like Mexican fried ice cream or whatever. Like if you go to a Mexican place, right. have you ever had that? Well, it's yeah, yeah. It's slightly battered and they fry it so the the. It creates sort of a housing or a light seal to keep in the liquid. Yeah. Or semi liquid. Yeah. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna get to this one a little bit later because okay. I, I want to talk about it, mm-hmm. but I I don't want to talk about it now. Okay. Because you know after having all of this, uh, you know the the corn dog and the popcorn, I think I'm ready to have a drink, Joe. Okay. And since you were talking about beer, I, I'm not quite ready for a beer yet. Maybe we could just have some lemonade. Sure. That's a that's a, a staple, isn't it? It absolutely is. Uh, just plain normal lemonade is a huge staple that has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Now uh, there are three kinds of lemonade. Uh, the first kind is really more of just like lemon and water. You're just talking like a lemon water kind of thing. Very thirst quenching. You know, it h- helps you out. Then you have your your basic, you know, kind of lemonade stand lemonade, right? Or the cloudy kind of lemonade. And What's the cloudy lemonade? It's cloudy because it has sugar in it. Oh. So once okay. you put sugar into it, uh, it gives you kind of a louche, yeah, if you yeah. will, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, you know, you just you have the sugar mixed up into it, right? Uh, like you have the right, and, and and it makes it cloudy. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is my favorite kind of lemonade. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Nice and sweet uh, with a lemony, thirst quenching flavor. Right. And then you have the fizzy kind of lemonade, mm-hmm. which uh, I believe in uh, in like the UK. Mm-hmm. That's typically what they call stuff like Seven Up, Sierra Mist, like whatever. Orangina our... and, and the sort of fizzy citrus yeah, kind of things. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like our like Sprite, mm-hmm. like that you would have here. They call that lemonade. Okay. So like your 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 lemon lime soda that you would have here is is called lemonade there. Interesting. So, and okay. some people still even here call that lemonade. Okay, like in the south so. when they say would you like some pop? Right. It, yeah. It just well, that's, I think that's soda. the Midwest. In the south I think they call it coke. Everything is Oh, yeah, coke. that's right. No, everything is coke. Yes. Yeah, it, you know what I mean? Would you like a coke? Uh or can I have a coke? Mhm. We only have Pepsi. Yeah, that's, that's what, what I, I meant. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, and then the Midwest is they call it pop. Pop, you're yeah. right. So we just, I think here we just call it a soda, right? Yeah, we just call it soda. I think it's just a soda, or it's not the name of said the name soda. of the said soda. Yeah, yeah. We don't have any weird qu- colloquialisms. Yeah, coll- I, colloquialisms. Colloquialisms. Yeah. <laughs> not a word I like to say. Scratch no. that all out. Right. But uh, one of the things that is synonymous with the carnival mm-hmm. is not only lemonade, which is, of course, you can always get a big lemonade, but a lot of the time you can also get pink lemonade. Yeah, why? Okay. You go to a grocery store nowadays and there is pink lemonade, purple lemonade, lemonade with raspberries, lemonade with chicken, lemonade with the strawberry lemonade. Yeah, like lemonade with everything. Lemonade like, with chicken? Come on now. I'm, I'm joking. You're, you're being a little crazy. <laughs> I am. Yeah. You're being a bit facetious. That's right. Why is it pink? Okay. Well, uh, a lot of the time, you, you know, you can actually find old cookbooks from like the 1800s mm-hmm. where people made lemonade and then they would sweeten it with fruit juice and okay. it would give you yeah. a bit of a pink flavor. Sure. Right? So you would sweeten a, it wait, with wait, a pink flavor? Or pink color. Both. <laughs> Purple's a fruit. Crepe <laughs> <laughs> is soothing. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you you know, you 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 give it a little bit of extra sweetness mm-hmm. from, you know, some squished berries right. or what have you, some raspberries. Uh, gives you a little extra tartness to go along with it, right, a little right. sweetness. So it adds to it. But one of my favorite stories about this mm-hmm. comes from a gentleman by the name of William Henry Griffith. Now, Mr. Griffith was a 
booth operator, and at the age of 17, he joined Four Paws Circus, but not as an actor. He actually had to conduct a refreshment stand. Uh, They sold peanuts, peanut taffy, and lemonade. Now, because they had such a huge amount of people that day, such a huge crowd, and it was uh, one of the biggest shows that they had ever had on the road, he actually ran out of lemonade and did not have time to go and basically fill up the the water bucket to try mm. and make more. So he was running he, you know he had someone watch the stand for a second while he frantically tried to find some water as quick as he possibly could. Of course, you know, you need a very large supply of water if you're going to be making lemonade and it had to be hauled very long distance at a considerable cost of effort to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a windy day in May where he uh, he had to make up a supply of lemonade, you know, basically right quick, you know, on right. point. Too sweet. Uh, right. So he actually found the wash basin where a la- lady bareback rider had hung her pink tights to dry mm. on a nearby line where she had just washed them. Uh, in those days, tights were made out of cotton and the colors were not always guaranteed to stay right, fast. Right. So, uh, so basically, he just grabbed the water that mm. <laughs> this lady had just washed her tights in, mm. and he decided to make lemonade with it. I think the in the food truck industry, that would be called gray water. Yes, it would. <laughs> Not. You know, but back in the 30s, yeah. it was considered potable. <laughs> <laughs> but if it was on that lady's underbits, wouldn't it be like potable? <laughs> well, some people say that she actually hung her tights over the water that he he had for himself absconded with no 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 that she had hung her tights over top of the water that he was he using. was he was actually going to be using oh and she wasn't paying attention to where she was hanging her her, her lady tights. undergarments exactly and it dripped into their meeting. but it dripped into it a little okay, bit okay so uh, but the, it's also the possibility that he grabbed the, the wash basin as the well one. so i mean <laughs> we're we're not exactly sure exactly what the story is gotcha. so i'm actually re, uh re, i did a little bit of this research from one of his obituaries mm. from where he had told the story mm-hmm. so but anyway uh he was rescued by by this water and uh, he basically turned it over he made lemonade and it had turned a lovely shade of pink and apparently, he started selling it at even a faster rate because oh, no. of the pink color. Wow. People really like the idea of the pink lemonade. Now, uh, what's strange about it is, I mean, of course, your lemonade is normally, you know, a lovely shade a of yellow. Pea yellow. Yeah. You know what I mean? And now this is a pink lemonade, so he decided to sell it as pink lemonade. Of course. And sold it. You know, possibly for a little bit more. Mark you know up. what I mean? And people said that they loved the flavor of it and kept on coming back. It's the same damn thing with like lady sweat crotch in there, <laughs> like that, and pink. It, but it's not only pink color, Joe, it's pink flavor. Oh, that's you know? right. I forgot. Purple's a fruit. He was basically touted as the creator of pink lemonade. Okay. So there is another story that is possible <laughs> where a gentleman by the name of Henry Abbott. Hey, Abbott! That he accidentally dropped a cinnamon candy that was red in color. Okay, and the, some the little hard candies? Little, yeah, 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 some yeah. hard candy into a vat of lemonade, and oh. it turned pink. I'm thinking it like a like a parallel thinking kind of thing, or, mm. or synchronicity. Yeah. Like it probably just happened at the same time. I'm clapping. Bravo, you actually so. remembered the word. Yeah, <laughs> right. I always forget <laughs> synchronicity. Denise and Diane. 
So, but uh, you know, they continually added a little bit of pink food coloring, a little bit mm-hmm. of red food coloring to make their lemonade pink, and it actually sold better. And if you think about it, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard anything about advertising where they they say like fast food companies having that red color in the logo actually makes you make bad choices. <laughs> right. Well, it's, impulsive is yeah, exactly. It's the it makes you make impulsive. Buy. You know, exactly. Quick thinking, so, fast, fast. So seeing it's, it's that, an alert color. Right. And yeah. seeing that little bit of red, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that pink lemonade yeah. would make you want to purchase it, you know, quicker and more. Mm-hmm. And But uh, now that our thirst is quenched, Joe, right. should we move on to dessert? Oh, yes, please. <laughs> and if it's anything like my time at the carnival, it's probably all four or five desserts. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? One of my favorites is uh, the walking taco. I have no clue what that is. Really? No. Oh, you basically like cut a Frito bag off the top, like tortilla chip kind of thing. Yeah. You cut it off. You cut it off the top, and you throw chili That's Frito and cheese. Pie. Yeah, it's the same thing. The walking taco or Frito pie. Okay. All right. I know what you're talking it's about. One now. of my favorite yeah, okay. things. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? You throw the beans. I'm or a Southwest whatever kid, inside. so I know what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 The walking taco. I don't know that term. Sorry. It's because they I think that's what they call it East in Coast. Taco Bell. <laughs> I'm Taco Bell. Live Moss. Right. So Joe, what is your favorite food at the carnival? Uh just let's talk about sweets. What is your favorite sweet? I typically don't eat at carnivals. Ah, what? Yeah, I don't trust them. You just get on the rides? <laughs> I don't trust them. Everything is deep fried I in know. large amounts of hot, hot oil. It kills anything. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Man, it's been so long. I would probably say uh, funnel cake. Yeah. You want to go for funnel cake? Sure. Let's do funnel cake next. All right. All right. So funnel cakes, uh, it really started in 19 – well, I was going to say it really got its popularity in 1951. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was actually from the Pennsylvania Dutch who have probably been doing it for – Hundreds of years. Yeah. But it was the Klutztown Folk Festival that really brought it all together. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was basically a celebration of of heritage Mm -hmm. of the Pennsylvania Dutch, which as we know, because we are very close. Yeah, just south of them. And I think there are three Dutch markets within probably 10 miles of each other. Right. And we also have a, a place very close to us near... D.C. that's called Germantown, Mm -hmm. which has the German immigrants, but it was a a bastardization of Deutsch, which, you know, uh, of course, being the German word. So people called them the Pennsylvania Dutch. They weren't Dutch. They were German. Yes. And a long line of German heritage. Now... Which they love their fried doughs. Exactly. Yeah. So now one of the things that they were making was the funnel cake. It can also be called the Meisbeck. Mistrobeck or the Creepsis. And they think that this was a uh, a term coming from a, a French phrase called mis unbeck, which translates to to put in or to put in a spout. Or in this case, a funnel. Right. It's now, like a large pipette. Right. Some mm-hmm. sort of pipette. Uh, you would put some sort of dough into it mm-hmm. and then squirt it into a hot oil. It's not really a dough. It's, now, it's more of a batter. That actually has to do with my next carnival food that I want to talk about, mm-hmm. but I'll explain that when we get to the next one. Okay. So, yeah, it is a batter that you take and you you put through. Now, people have said that it's possible that this is actually comes from medieval times I where people would, it. you know, fry different doughs. Mm-hmm. Typically with the with the funnel cake though, 
you know, you put it into the funnel, you put it into the the deep fryer, and of course you want to turn it to get it nice and golden brown on both sides. Mm -hmm. And then it was generally sprinkled with some sugary syrup and then sprinkled with salt, and people would eat that uh, in that, that way. Now, this was typically done around the holidays. You're talking about Christmas and or the New Year. Mm-hmm. And this, this is when, when are these little cakes would be eaten. Right. It sounds very similar to the Swedish Fasnjak or in Germany, the Krapfen, uh, which is a, basically a, a dough. Um, right. Sort of – it's not battery – uh, it's so it's more of a dough like like a like a donut, right? Uh, but it was a it, it was a way to use all of the fatty bits of of stuff left in the cupboard, sugar, flour, and fat, and they would make this batter and fry it and put sugar on it or put fruits in it, and that's like old 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 German school like recipe recipe yeah. yeah. So that's probably something very similar. Now after the Klutzdown Folk Festival, uh, it was actually three women that made these cakes that put it into the fryer mm-hmm. and uh, after that there were a group of you know group of friends mm-hmm. they uh, had an old like a much older recipe from like the 1800s out of a out of a cookbook right. and they were making these cakes you know for for their family you know right, for right. for christmas time mm-hmm. you know now the three women that actually were making these cakes were Grace Merkel Henninger Stella Heenley and Emma Miller. Miller provided the recipe uh, that she had, she had been making the cakes for her family for the winter holidays. In the back of a concession stand, the four ladies deep-fried the funnel cakes four at a time and sold them for 25 cents a piece. Whew. I think at Renfair, you have to pay 25 bucks a piece now. Right, I know. Yeah. But then it became huge, and then the 1960s came around, and it started jumping from from this folk festival to different carnivals all around because people liked it so much. Right. So, and of course, as we know it today, any kind of fair carnival festival, you can get funnel cakes pretty much anywhere. Anywhere. I've yeah. seen uh, I've seen different funnel cakes, uh, you know, what was it, like red velvet funnel cake where they mm-hmm. take, you know, and they make it with the red dye. Yeah, I always think of it as it looks like pancake batter. Right, Like exactly. when you see it made. The same kind of consistency. Right, and then you... You know, some places, I mean, it's done differently all over the place, but it, it's a pancake-like batter poured into a sieve or a funnel, and it's, it's kind of, like, artistically rendered into the oil, you know, in this right. sort of, like, circular shape. Uh, but it, it looks like, like a, you know, like a fried noodle or, or something of, of that sort of thing. But it's like a layer of, like, like fried— It looks like a doodle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like, like, you but know. they're like a snowflake. Yeah, they're all. Every single funnel cake is different. This is Wayne Kaiser from the Ballycast podcast at ballycast.com. I'm a curioso, and you're listening to the Curioso podcast. All right, Joe. So, when you get a funnel cake, mm-hmm. I know you don't do it often, you, but you've had funnel cake. Yes, I have. Yes. What do you like to top it with? 
Uh, typically just powdered sugar. Right. That's it. I know, right? Nothing else. Powdered sugar on top, that's all you need. Leave it alone. Oh, God. Dana wants to put all the garbage on top. Garbage? She likes put com- garbage on She there. likes to put compote, like, like not- oh, well, let's just put pie filling on top. What? I'm like, what no. is all that garbage? Now you're just making no. pancakes. My point is, is that the the crispness of it, right? That's the fact the whole that point. it's all it's all crispy all over the place with a little bit of like the, softness on the inside. Yeah, it's all about the texture and know? the sweetness. Yeah, right. That's it. That's what I'm saying. So if you put compote on it, it's just going to make it all gooey. Yeah, it's it's like a like an English muffin. Right. It's all about the crooks and grannies. And that's what I like about it. Yeah. The crooks and grannies. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what is wrong with her. Why she wants to put chocolate and okay, fruit compote and cho- pie filling on chocolate top. drizzle. I could see being like fun. a light chocolate drizzle. Yeah, like a you know, like a little you know, swilly do of of chocolate drizzle. I could, I could go with that. But I don't want like strawberry jam on top of it. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, gonna, why would you do that? You're just gonna make a mushy mess. That's what I'm saying. A little bit of powdered sugar. That is my favorite. Yeah. That's how I like it. Unless, unless, okay, follow me with this. Get two of them. Uh-huh. Then go to the ice cream stand, get a cup of ice cream, sandwich them between the two uh, funnel cakes, mm-hmm. you know, and... And uh, you're, you've made yourself a funnel cake sandwich. Yes. I'm going to do that next week. All right, do it. <laughs> uh, it. That just reminds me of the the many fried doughs I've seen doing research, mm-hmm. uh, like the... Um, the, the donut hamburger. Ugh. But they, they do it at fairs. They do do it. I always liked the mini donuts. Mm-hmm. If you ever go to, uh, around especially around here, around around Baltimore, mm-hmm. if you ever go to like flea markets, you'll see like a little mini donut maker where they make little mini cake mm-hmm. donuts. And of course it has like a, uh, like a little, a little wheel. Mm-hmm. You know, and they go up the conveyor belt and then they drop into the oil and they come <laughs> right. around and, and then they cover them with powdered sugar. And they're, you know, they give them to you in a little cone, mm-hmm. you know, with little tiny donuts or whatever. Right. And they are so good. Yeah. But, it, yeah. but it's the fact that people will sit there and stare at the machine making the oh, donuts. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a Krispy Kreme thing. Like, right. Yeah, exactly. They've been doing that since the 50s. The same thing. Yeah. But every carnival I've seen doing this research, every single one of them has some sort of fried sweet dough. Which I think is kind of cool. All right. So real me this. We've had this discussion before. Uh-huh. Let, let's put this up to uh, a listener choice who picks something. A poll, if you will. A poll. Uh, okay. Funnel cake. Right. Versus elephant ears. Ah. Do you know, Joe? You know what my vote is for? Huh? Elephant ears. Elephant ears, hands down. Okay. Your argument is what? Okay. I think, uh, although I love funnel cakes, don't get me wrong. It's like trying to choose between, you know, your two favorite children. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you, this, is, this is the argument that you, not the argument, this is what you said. You've said they are completely different things. Right. They are. Okay. So please explain. Okay. Well, your funnel cake, of course, uh, you know, it, it is the... Swirly nooks and crannies, noodles right? extruded through a, a a funnel, a funnel of some sort, right? And then your elephant ear, your elephant ear, mm-hmm. sometimes also known as a beaver tail, yes. sometimes also known as a flying saucer, or fried bread, or a doughboy, or in the smaller versions they call them mouse ears because that's cute. <gasps> sometimes they're also known as scones. 
What? Sometimes called gigantic beignets. What? No, these are all different types of fried breads. But I mean, you know what a beignet is, right? That's like a French donut. It's all very similar. They're a type of fried dough as compared to a fried batter. Ah. Right? Yes. Now, but an elephant ear, because it's, you know, the beaver tail that it is. Right. I like it because you can have it many different ways. Mm. So you could have it, say, like a type of garlic bread where you put some garlic on it, some butter on it, and you you know a little bit of salt, and you eat it like that. Mm-hmm. But also, if you wanted to drizzle honey on top of it, or right. cinnamon and sugar. You're basically describing naan. It is basically like naan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's N-A-A-N. very much like naan bread. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it is very much like naan bread. And also, there's another type of bread that comes from Native American culture called Navajo bread. Oh, yeah. That's also pan-fried. It's very similar, mm-hmm. very much the same. Yeah. So it's it's not – the elephant ear is really, you know, of course, changed to be called the elephant ear because it right. was sold at circuses right. where you would see elephants. Yeah, I mean I always saw them growing up with sprinkles of cinnamon and sugar. Right. And that was like the only time I ever saw them. Yeah. And, you know, there's also a, a Canadian origin for oh, it. Yeah. And that was why they called it beaver tails mm. because uh, you would have your fur trappers who would, of course, catch the beaver for its fur for mm-hmm. beaver hats. Yeah. Beaver top hats. They would take the tail and they would cook it and they would put beans on top of it and they would eat the beaver tail like that. Oh, interesting. So it was wide and flat. Mm-hmm. Of course, meat at the time yeah. being the beaver's tail, but it's very similar to the way that the, the, the elephant ear looks. The shape. The shape of gotcha. it. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. The, the wide, flat, you know, fried dough, mm-hmm. which is where the, the beaver tail name and the elephant ear name came in. In fact, in 1978, Pam and Grant Hooker of Ottawa. They had a, they were specialized in fried dough pastries stretched into the shape of a beaver's tail, had Mm. a restaurant called Beaver Tails. Nice. Yeah, a little bakery, you know what I mean? (laughs) I think that's DuckTales. That is DuckTales. But yeah, I think they're very different, but I think they're more versatile than your typical funnel cake, which is, you know, to me, Mm -hmm. is supposed to be eaten sweet. Well, Well, yes. Yeah. No, I agree. Texturally? Completely different. Yeah. Conceptually, completely different. But both a type of fried... Ah, starch. Right. Don't, don't, don't say bread. Well, one is a fried dough, one is a fried batter. Right. One has yeast, you know, or can be, you know, brought up by yeast. Right. You know, be raised by yeast and then uh, be, be raised into a loving household by yeast. And mm-hmm. the other one is just a batter. Which you would, you know, typically dip something else in and fry it. Right. My distinction is I go back to donuts. Can you make a beer batter funnel cake? Yeah, of course you can. Yeah, we're going to have to try that. Yeah. My distinction is donuts. Okay, you know what a yeast donut is? Yeah. Uh, And you know what a cake donut is? Right. That's my distinction. Totally, Totally separate flavors. Yeah. Textures, flavors, everything. Yes, they're in the same shape. But if you extruded... A yeast donut batter, which t- typically is a little bit more runny. Yeah. Not runny, but softer. Um, it's not nearly as pancakey batter. There's a huge crowbar separation. I much prefer a yeast donut over a cake donut. Do you? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, I mean, I guess I just like yeast. All right. Fair it's enough. It's just the way I am, Joe. Yeah. 
can't change me. Uh, you're a yeasty guy. All right, Joe. So after, you know, f- eating funnel cakes and elephant ears, mm-hmm. I'm starting to get a little bit of warm, you know, from all that batter and dough. Sure. And I think I need to cool off. Okay. So how about we get an ice cream cone? Sure. Of course, ice cream has been around forever. Yeah, so for a in long fact, time. during Nero's reign, mm. a lot of people thought that they he he would have people grab snow from the mountains mm. and pour some sugared syrup on top, which mm. is a little bit more like a snow cone. But that one's coming up next. Well, I think they probably also would add milk cream or you know milk fats. Right, I've I've heard of that in historical things as well. But the ice cream is not really what I'm here to talk about. It's really the meshing of that with the cone, hmm. which is what makes it a carnival staple, the ice cream cone. Right. Because it wasn't really until then that I feel like it, it was anything. It's solidified yeah. into culture. Into a cornucopia shape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was actually uh, a gentleman by the name of Italio Maricone, Mariconi. Mariconi. Italio Mariconi. Okay. It was in 1896, he immigrated from Italy and invented the ice cream cone in New York City. He was granted a patent for it in December of 1903. Wow. So he's from, he's from Italy, so I, they have, uh, what is that, gelato? Yeah, gelato, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Ice cream, it's all just that, that cooling effect. Mm-hmm. I, I, what is it? It's really like a difference between how much air is mixed into it. With gelato and, and, and ice cream, yeah, yeah, it's it's it it's a little bit different. But I didn't mm-hmm. do research about that show. I'm just I'm, I did it about the cone. The right. cone is the important part. Right. And although he is credited with the invention of the cone, a similar creation was was happened independently. Oh, synchronicity. Mm-hmm. And it was introduced at the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair by Ernest Hamwi. Hamwi. It's H A M W I. I don't know how to pronounce that. Ham wee. <laughs> Sounds good. He was a Syrian concessionaire. He was selling crisp waffle-like pastries called Zalibis. Okay. Yeah. Right? Uh, the booth right next to him, the vendor had ice cream, but because at the time it was actually served in dishes. So you would actually have to carry around your own dishes. Well, they didn't uh, just have – Like a little – paper cup or no they didn't plate? have paper cups back in the day oh, that's right. they actually no had cups. real dishes so people would eat the ice cream with a spoon yeah, yeah. give the dishes back and then they uh, would have to wash them gotcha so he actually ran out of dishes and as an easy solution ham decided that he would take his you know his little waffles mm-hmm. curl them into a cornucopia or a cone and put the ice cream on top and of course sell it for the price of double Oh, of course. Right? Yeah. And, you know, people could eat the cone afterwards after they were done eating the ice cream and nice. absolutely loved it. After, you know, you would have to curl it and let the cone cool for a few seconds. Right. In the, you know, in the, the, the cone The molded type. shape. Yeah, the molded shape. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the ice cream cone became the institution that it is today. Mm-hmm. That's all I got for that. I think I like the ones – I don't remember who makes them or whatever, but – when I was a kid, whatever the ones were that at the bottom of the cone, they would put like a a dollop of, of chocolate in the bottom. Oh, you're talking about Nutter Butters. Yeah. So my, my idea is, yeah, there's chocolate in the bottom. Great. But 
as I got older, I was like, why the hell is there chocolate in the bottom? I think. Because it's delicious? Wait. I think they coat the cone in chocolate to act as a liquid repellent, a barrier, as Mm -hmm. it were. Yeah. So as your ice cream melts, it doesn't just... Drip all over your pants, like... Sog up your cone, you know, and you have sort of a, a nice little cool chocolate coating that is the best taste of chocolate ever isn't when it? you get to the very bottom that of the cone and there's sweet. just a, like a little cone of chocolate at the mm-hmm. bottom and you get to eat all that nom, but nom, it's nom, not nom, a milk nom. chocolate it's this nice like bittersweet you know chocolate kind of just it's like a darker chocolate yeah or something in there yeah it's so good though and of course uh Hamweed went on to found the Missouri Cone Company in 1910, and I mean, really, the rest is history. Hmm. We're, we're, you know, still eating ice cream cones to this day. Did you ever eat the um, those styrofoam cones that are like pressed in the, like a cup? Yeah, those are like those. I think those are called cake cones or something like. I that. I don't know, but they, you know, they're like they stand they're, about they're this flat tall. on the bottom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're pretty gross. They're like styrofoam. I can't yeah. handle those things. It's like <laughs> packing peanuts. No, it's all about like the Belgian waffle cone. Oh, like yeah, those things. That's are the, the only way to do it. Yeah. Or just get yourself a Belgian waffle and put ice cream on. Put it. ice cream on top and yeah. eat it like that. Yeah, you can tell Dana to put whatever garbage she wants. Whatever on Whatever garbage compote <laughs> crap she wants to put on it. Right. So, but we're not quite done with cooling off yet, Joe. No, because I want to talk about. The snow cone. Oh, we're getting ice cold. Yeah, we are. <laughs> ice cold. Yeah, this is absolutely an iconic spring and summertime treat. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, like we were talking about at the Texas State Fair in 1919, an East Dallas resident by the name of Samuel Burt, known as King Sammy, was selling the icy treats at this Texas State Fair. And he patented an ice crusher machine. By the early 1950s, his stand at the state fair was selling one million snow cones per year. What? Yeah. Now, these are the snow cones that you, like the, you ever get the pre-made ones? Yeah, That are yeah. just like, that have the three colors, you know, the yeah, red, yeah. The, the yellow, and the, and the you know, blue, uh, the blue or, green or, or something. Blue or whatever. These were those kind of snow cones, mm-hmm. right? With the big, thick, crushed ice that you can get, you know, at some places for like drinks. Mm-hmm. But really, it starts off way before that. But that was like where the it was patented. So I wanted to mention that. Right. But it really actually started, of course, we had talked about Nero. Mm-hmm. And the fact that during his reign, people would make desserts, uh, putting flavors onto, onto snow. Mm-hmm. But it was really during the Industrial Revolution when a little bit above us, upstate New York, they were taking blocks of ice out of, out of the, the rivers up there. Mm-hmm. And bring them south for the, the spring and summertime. And during that time, they would frequently come through Baltimore. Mm. And when they came through Baltimore, they would chip off and shave off a little bit of ice for the kids. And then the kids would run to their parents and ha- they, their parents would sprinkle on some syrup on top. Mm. And they would eat it to, to cool off. So nice. really, the snow cone, or as we know it here in Baltimore, the snowball. Right. That is really where it started well there are the baltimore on snowball <laughs> there are many cousins you've got you know things like the slurpee the slush puppy you know, they're all the ice the ice oh yeah the ice whatever yeah. the heck it's got like three <laughs> e's at the end so it's very very similar right they are very similar it's all some sort of crushed shaved 
battered and abused ice. And typically with some sort of a sugary sweet or yeah, sugary syrup in it. Mm. My personal favorite is the egg custard. (laughs) Right. Right. With marshmallow. And marshmallow, that's another thing that uh, a lot of, it, typically with marshmallow, sometimes chocolate, mm-hmm. but, uh, a, you know, typically uh, it should be in a styrofoam cup. I don't use, like to use styrofoam except mm-hmm. for with snowballs. Why is that? It keeps it colder. Really? It keeps it colder for longer, the styrofoam cup. Yeah, that's why they have styrofoam ice chests. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I it's it's all about scraping the uh, the gooey marshmallow stuff the fluff yeah the fluff off of the or you know, the inside of the stuff if you're a kid from the 80s right yeah. are you eating it or, or is, is it, it eating, eating you, you? <laughs> yeah so but yeah apparently uh our friend kate mm-hmm. she moved down to what was it florida 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 mm-hmm. she moved down to florida and she says she can't get a decent snowball anywhere <laughs> decent you know yeah. what i mean like she can get snow cones you yeah know, stuff like that's that. not the same but she, it's not the same as no. like a baltimore and a Baltimore on snowball, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? A Baltimore snowball, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, we're we're known for it, mm-hmm. you know. Very and true. Uh, there are play, you know, there are uh, quite a few stands in New Orleans that mm. have very similar things. Also, Hawaii is known for their Hawaiian shaved ice, right? Which is typically that rainbow type of flavor, mm-hmm. and it gives you a much thinner shaved sort of ice rather than that big crusty, you right? Know, it's it's like crushed um, up stuff. It's like the, the the difference between kosher salt and finishing salt, right? You know? Exactly. Yeah, coarse or that thick sea chunks salt kind of stuff, or fine sort of like flattened salt flakes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, but uh, I love me a nice uh, a nice snowball. But now that I'm cooled off, let's move on to something a little bit more airy because I don't have much room left, Joe. <laughs> Are you I sure? don't have much room after this sure? whirlwind tour of the carnival. <laughs> I need something light and airy. Uh huh. Maybe even something that will go between my teeth. Maybe something like fairy floss. Oh, yeah. All right. Or as most of us know it. Yeah. Cotton candy. That's right. So in 1897, in Nashville, Tennessee, a dentist by the name of William Morrison. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) A dentist. A dentist. Okay, sorry. Go ahead with your story. By the name of William Morrison, teamed up with a candy maker... Jonathan Warden to invent a device to make cotton candy as we know it today. Uh, at the time, it was uh, like an air spun sugary treat. If you've ever had cotton candy or, or fairy floss, mm-hmm. it's basically sugar that's yeah. been heated and you. The you liquid know, strands are spun out in a centrifuge. Yeah. And as they spin out, they cool, harden into these very thin little. You know, wispy strings of solidified sugar. Right. right. And uh, you put it on the tip of your tongue, and boom, it just melts. Right. You know, straight yeah. onto your tongue. My favorite is, uh, have you ever seen the raccoon? No, I don't. You ever I've seen, seen the, a raccoon? No, there's a raccoon meme where he, he someone hands him some cotton candy. Uh-huh. Uh, raccoons have a tendency to wash their food before they eat it. Oh, so yeah. he grabs the cotton candy and goes to dip it into the water, and it just uh-huh. disappears. He's and like, he's looking for it all what? over the place. Oh, I've the never worst felt so magic bad trick for, ever for a raccoon in my life. <laughs> so uh, they hold on. They set out to make this machine. They did. They did. Uh, it, it, it was a huge hit at the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis, where the duo sold 
68,000 boxes of the cotton candy. Wow, at the used time, to be boxed. Yeah. Oh, they wow. would take it and put it in boxes very much like you would. Cracker uh, Jack or, yeah, or anything else like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, at the time, it was the homespun invention. They would they would actually take and heat a fork and spin it, and this is how they would create the spun sugar. Hmm. Uh, and this has been actually going on since the 1400s. Heating and, and cooks and, started use a yeah. It was a labor intensive culinary technique, and it, you know because of the high cost and oh. of sugar and labor involved, uh, the, only the very wealthy could afford it. Oh, it's like the covering for a crook and bouche. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. I don't know what that is, but I'm just going to say, yeah. <laughs> it's like a it's like a pastry tower, right? It's like giant puff pastry tower, this French culinary thing. And then they cover it with like these minuscule strands of caramelized sugar. Yeah. But they do this spinny thing and they spin it all over That's this what, they're giant... They're just making cotton candy all the time. I know, but it's, well, it's, it's more like a, a, a spun caramel. Right. You know, they actually let it caramelize. But then they spin it all over this giant tower of, you know, stuffed pastries, and the whole thing is called a croquembouche. <laughs> it's crazy. But it's, it looks It's because they put a bush of, of cotton <laughs> a candy bush on top. Of cotton can- yes. At the World's Fair, Doc Morrison and Morton sold the fairy floss for 25 cents a box. And that was a heavy price back in 1904 because that's the equivalent of $5.99 a box today. Yeah, I think a box today runs you, what, triple that? About 15 bucks? Yeah. 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 They spent over, they actually made over $17,000, which would be uh, $41,000 in today's dollars. Wow. Yeah, considering the U.S. worker earned between $200 and $400 a year, that was a pretty good, uh, pretty good. That's uh, a nice haul. Yeah, nice haul there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cost of the sugar was only four cents a pound at the time. Jeez. And considering that the confection was mostly air, <laughs> that's probably where they got most of their money from. Do you know this whole thing sounds like some weird dentist association conspiracy? <laughs> you know what I mean? Once you're done with that, come see and me. And all your teeth are messed up. <laughs> right, come see me. And we're going to keep doing this on the cheap. Raking in all of your money. Come see, and with and then my, you're going to turn around and give me with back my, my business money. card on the box. Come see Doc Morrison for your <laughs> all your teeth woes. Man, what a racket! So it wasn't until about the 1920s that fairy floss was reborn uh, as cotton candy. It was changed to cotton. The, the name of cotton candy, right? And, uh, you know, I mean, cotton was a big commodity at the time, and it just seemed and to, to looks, make sense. I mean, visually, it looks like a Puffy like cloud a puff or, a, or a puff of cotton. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in 1972, inventors actually patented an automatic cotton candy making machine, greatly uh, speeding up the process. Mm-hmm. And making more money. Right. And nowadays, you know, any carnival, seaside, mm-hmm. you know, resort, you're going to see cotton candy everywhere. You can get uh, at-home cotton candy machines at stores. And may I say, I have one. You do have one. I do have one. I know. That's cr- I, was, <laughs> I was giggling about it on the way over here. I'm like, oh, the cotton candy machine. Some of my favorite things to do is you, you, you can actually take any kind of you, – you could actually put you know any kind of sugar into it. Of okay? course. But my actual favorite thing to do is you can take hard candies and drop them in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are strange hard candy flavors that you can find like durian fruit. 
Oh, yeah. I like the green tea hard candies. Oh, man. I would go to the Lotte Market and go crazy. I've I've made green tea cotton candy. Mm-hmm. I've made whorehound cotton candy. What'd you call I've me? I've made whorehound. <laughs> you, ne- have, you never had whorehound mints? They're very soothing whorehound. on the throat. Okay. Uh, I've made watermelon cotton candy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, you can you can do it with any kind of hard candy that you that you can come up with. Nice. Those little root beer barrels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the root beer cotton candy. The anything. machine will actually melt the candy. It'll melt the, the candy, candy very much like sugar. So you and don't have to you, actually have granulated sugar or sucrose or anything. You, but not not with the machine that I do. Now your okay. industrial machine, of course, you, you actually have need have the you know the actual the granular form the granulated form of sugar where you just you know. All they do, they add some flavoring to it. Mm-hmm. Typically, vanilla. You know, your pink and your blue might be, you know, more like raspberry, like a blue raspberry. Yeah, your or pink ladies' might tights. Be more of a strawberry, or they, you know, drip some ladies' tights into it. You yeah. know, whatever you need, <laughs> whatever you want. You know, so. But I mean, the with the the home machines, you can just drop that hard candy into there and 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 make your whatever huh. kind of flavor you want. That's kind of cool. Typically, the the serving. The normal serving of cotton candy mm-hmm. is 115 calories per, per serving. So it's really not that bad. And that, is that a whole paper cone wrapped? With cotton candy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's not terrible. Well, you're, you're talking, you're taking, what, half a cup of sugar, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, and spinning it up to the vol- five times its volume because of air. Well, I, really... A normal, like, cone mm-hmm. that you take and wrap the cotton candy in, like, for a normal person to eat one of those, you're talking, like, a tablespoon to a tablespoon and a half. Serious? Yeah, that's, that, that will make all of that for you. Wow. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So you're not even, like, a cup of sugar. It's not a cup of sugar in one of those cones. I always figured it was, like, some obscene amount of sugar. No, no, it's not, not that much at all. Okay, You cool. know what I mean? And if you want... I've got the machine. Oh, we can wait, give it a let's shot. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> Did you bring me crazy candies? I brought all kinds. Oh shit! Absolutely. All right, Joe. That's it. All right. I uh, am stuffed. All right. Well, check out our YouTube page, and we're gonna make some cotton candy. All right, guys. Uh, we will talk to you next time. I'm gonna go buy some tickets for the Ferris wheel. Sure. Let's do that. I don't think they're going to buy you actually being on a Ferris wheel. (laughs) I wouldn't make the noises. Thank you for listening to the Curioso Podcast. You can tweet us at Curioso Podcast. You can also check out our videos, youtube.com backslash Curioso Podcast. You can call our voicemail line. Leave us a message, 443-327-9673. On your touchtone phone, that spells Hydasword. On the Curioso.com website, on the left-hand side, you can help support the show by clicking on our Amazon link. And if you're a real Curioso, we need you to go on and give us a great five-star review on iTunes. It will help us get more listeners, and it'll make you feel good about yourself. If you'd like to check out some of our sister podcasts, check out thundergrunt.com Old Farmer's Almanac comes out every morning and then I listen to my weather podcast <laughs> I do Those it both sounds super boring they're
fucking 60 seconds long. It's it's like uh, I don't even know. It's like licking Ajax. It's it's your your whole face is like <laughs> you know, it's like when you're four and the first time you have a a, a warhead, you know, you're like but it's what not, the fuck. But it's it is. You're right. But it's, it's not too sour. But from, here's from my, my question. palate. It's too Was acidic. it vinegary? No. Not at all, right? No. No. I don't taste any vinegar in it. No. It's it's all lactic sour. Yeah, that's it, but it's too acidic for for my, my taste. Like right. I can have a few sips and I'm like, okay, that's good. Well um, that's but I can't drink a, yeah. a, a whole glass of it. That's why I bring a twenty two and you share it amongst ten people. I, everybody I know. gets a Dixie cup and right. everybody enjoys it, but you don't wanna Yeah, it's like a barley wine. You don't yeah. you don't drink you know, bottle Four after bottle of them. Yeah. Yeah, except for that one time yeah, where we, we were recording bottle after bottle. Of them. <laughs> yeah, we, we both we got a six pack, and we both went to get up from the coffee table after recording. And we <laughs> we both, had like three. Each. We had three each, and we both fell over. Like, <laughs> like what? what the hell happened? And I think it was like what fourteen percent, fifteen percent. Yeah, it was yeah. like we we both had. Three I woke up with a hangover. Bottles of wine. Yeah, I woke <laughs> yeah. up with a hangover. Yeah. That was rough. Which is not <laughs> normal for me on, no. like, a Thursday, you know, to yeah. after recording. Now, I mean, there are plenty of other foods that we probably aren't going to get to. Like, one of my favorites is, like, the walking taco. What? The walking taco? I thought we just did pink lemonade. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. Go do it again. Right. And that actually uh, comes to do... Comes to do... <laughs> <laughs> 